Amen. All right. So to begin our time together today, we are going to read from 1 John 1. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, you can. If you forgot your Bible, there should be one in front of you in a pew. So 1 John 1, I'm going to start in verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness... We are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thanks, Ellie. Well, greetings. My name is BJ. I am a staff pastor here. Hi. <laughs> it's one of the youth kids. I uh, spend most of my time with the youth. If you've never met me, that's, uh, that's what I do here primarily. And then on weekends where Mike gets an opportunity to go out into the backwoods of Montana, I cover for him. So I uh, pray and trust that his trip is restful and, um, and that he's growing closer to the Lord and close, closer to his boys and closer to the Hart family. So... Well, Mark chapter 4. Open up in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. This morning as we are diving in, we're, di- we're diving into three more parables. Three more parables in Jesus' ministry. Um, but it's important before we get to that point that we look at where we've been. Specifically where Jesus has been. Because up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he has spoken very plainly and very clearly, um, very bold claims about the heart of God towards man. He's made very clear what the hearts of man should look like. And he's done this in both word and action. He says how men should be responding to the Lord, and then he does exactly that. So both, both word and action. He's been very clear. There's been no question as to what his words and actions mean. There was, however, strong disagreement and even uh, most recently direct opposition to both his words and his actions from the people. And we can see this in some of his examples up to this point. So I'm going to recount to you a couple of them. First one, Mark 2, 1 through 12, we see Jesus heals a paralytic man. The scribes accuse Jesus of blaspheming because they said, your, because he said your sins are forgiven, which only God can do. That's exactly what the kingdom of God is about. And Jesus is indeed God. But their hearts were hard and not willing to consider that as a possibility. Later in Mark chapter 2, 16 through 17, the scribes who were Pharisees are upset that Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. When Jesus hears this, he says that he didn't come for the healthy, but for those who are sick. This is exactly what the kingdom of God is all about. Redemption, new life. But their hearts were hard and not willing to consider that as a possibility. Mark chapter 3, 1 through 6, we see a turn that happens here. No longer are the people asking in confusion and agitation why Jesus is doing these things. Now they begin to plot against this revelation of the kingdom of God. 
On the Sabbath, they see a man who's struggling through life with a shriveled hand. And they're thinking, ha ha, we've got him now, this Jesus. He's always healing people, that Jesus. It's like he can't resist healing. And they're both right and wrong. He could resist healing them with the shriveled hand, but he doesn't want to. It's in his nature to heal because God's nature is compassionate because that's the kingdom of God that he was sent here to grow. But their hearts were hard and not willing to consider that as a possibility. So, from therefore, Jesus taught in parables. And he did this in order that the hardened hearts of the people might soften as they think and dwell upon what Jesus is saying. He's giving them an opportunity to dig deeper, to sit there and and think about the words that Jesus is saying, and rather than instantly dismissing what they don't like, think about what the words actually mean, allow that to set in, and those who are hungry after the truth will find it. Today we'll look at more, three more parables. One is about light, which speaks of truth. One is about growing and harvesting seeds, which speaks of God's kingdom. And one about a mustard seed's growth also speaks of God's kingdom, but makes a different point about God's kingdom. So let's dive into this. Mark 4, we're going to cover verses 21 through 34, but let's just start with the first three. 21. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Light and truth. So Jesus starts with a rhetorical question. An easy question, a very easy question, very simple one. See, Jesus' parables are never loaded down with jargon or lofty cerebral ideas that only the elites could understand. Didn't come here to wow the brilliance with brilliance. So why does he do that? The short answer is that he loves the whole world. Not just the elites, he loves the whole world, the uneducated, the simpletons, even the Gentiles, you and me. You don't need to be a genius, you don't even need to have any religious background to understand what Jesus' parable means. You don't even have to know the word. You don't even have to know scripture. Jesus, God, The fullness of God is accessible to everyone, absolutely everyone. Even a toddler knows what a light is for. Dimitri does this all the time. He'll point up at the roof, light. He wants us to flip the switch, light. His point, light. He loves it. It illuminates things, reveals the reality of what's hidden in the dark. Light guides It keeps a person's steps safe and sound. 
And even a toddler knows this. Jesus promises that everything will be revealed, he says. All things will be revealed. Nothing will be kept from anyone. All truth will be revealed. This is the promise from the word himself. God in flesh. Jesus himself is offering a truth that not merely, and it's not merely man's opinion, but the word of the one who created everything from nothing. There can be no better source. He made it all. What's more than that is he also reveals um, how to receive the truth, how to receive it. Truth is put out, but how do you take that truth in? In verse 24, he says, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So we have here and we have use. Here and use. Pay attention, he says. Listen close to my words, he says. Because however much you use them, that's how much, I, that's how much will be given to you. For us today, in, in, in our terms, do we want to hear from the Lord? Are we using what's given to us so far? Jesus' words are so simple. This concept's all throughout Scripture. Faith that works is dead, and, and so many passages about using what we've heard. If we long to hear more from the Lord... Are we using what he's spoken to us? Have we heard what he's spoken to us? And then are we using it? How many of us are waiting for a new word from the Lord and not using what he's already provided? Lord, why are you silent? And he says, there's still bread on the table. I gave you a loaf and you didn't eat it. Why are you asking for more bread? Eat what I've already given you. What is the Lord? What is the word that the Lord is giving us? And are we eating it? I grew up in churches, um, a wide range of churches, some that were incredibly intellectual, that um, loved to really dive into the word great thing, loved to study very, very deeply, um, but then didn't really work out what they were learning very much. There wasn't a whole lot of action going on. And then I've also been in churches where it was all action, but without the backing of the foundation of scripture, not action from the word, but rather just let's go do it. I'm excited. Both are unbalanced. Both are unbalanced. You can't go through your whole walk with the Lord and gather all this information and fill yourself up and just sit there and just enjoy the info. It's not why he gave it to you. He gave you a loaf of bread to eat it, to use it. So what is that word that Jesus is giving? Well, I'm going to go back to a passage Mike used last week, a famous one. We all know it very well. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word. 
And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. The word is Jesus. This truth, this bread, the sustaining element that he grants to us is himself. It is Jesus. He's giving it. He says, I'm willing to give you all the bread of life. Every last bit of the bread of life. I'm willing to give you all of myself. Jesus walked down the long, tortured road so that we might have access to all of the word. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that we might have the word with us at all times. Give us a new word, Lord, we say. And the Spirit says, I've been giving you word for years. What are you not eating? Eat it and there will be more. Every now and then, I, I actually get the opportunity to speak with someone um, who has gone through this process, who has actually finally eaten what they've been hearing from the Lord, has acted out what the Lord has been giving them, this word that God has been putting on their hearts for years and years and years, and they fought against it for whatever reason, whether it's pride, whether it's whatever it is. And they finally acted it out, what they've been hearing from the Lord. The same conviction he's been giving them for decades. And you know what happens? I've seen this a couple times in my life. You know what happens is Jesus joyfully gives them more. It turns into worship. The individual finally lets go of something that they've been holding on to, whether it's a, a confession to a spouse or whether it's a, their conduct in the workplace or whether it's something God has been calling them to do for years and years and years and years. And they finally let go of themselves to say yes to what God's been calling them to do, to take his word in and act it out. And then it leads to worship. They're not embarrassed. They're not ashamed. They're joyful in the Lord. And the Lord joyfully gives them more to chew on. You ate all your bread. Here's another slice. The light is truth. The truth about God's kingdom, about God's character. The light is the word of God, which will not be kept from the world. God gives us himself, the more that we live the truth given to us, the more that God himself supplies us. What's left sitting on the table? Is there something that God has called us to, asked us to let go, convicted us of, that we aren't willing to let go of? God is not keeping himself from us. but he's only going to give us that which we will actually use. Now, I can speak from experience on this because for me, at first, that sounded kind of hard. As I was reading through this, it felt kind of harsh. 
Like, I thought God gave us everything. What do you mean he's only going to give us what we'll actually use? And I thought about it, and it's like, if I know that my son will only take three bites out of a piece of bread, I don't give him a whole slice, especially with current grocery prices. (laughs) And it's not that I'm refusing him the rest of the slice. He could have it any time if he'll eat it. And I'm very much so confined to time and space. It's a problem I have. You can probably relate. God's not. <laughs> He's like, I, I know exactly how many bites you're going to take. I know exactly before you were born, I knew how many bites you would take. Jesus looks at us and plainly says, do you want more? Don't just hear the word. Do the word. In our second parable, we find a a picture of the kingdom of God. Mark does not record the meaning of these next two parables, though uh, Jesus did explain them to his own disciples. We'll see that later. That means that it is left to us to dig in, dwell upon, and seek that we might gain understanding. First off, um, we'll hit the parable of the growing seed in verse 26. The kingdom of God is like this, Jesus said. He said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. The kingdom is like this, he says. Once again, Jesus uses a picture that anyone can understand. Anyone has experienced, has seen, understands. A man throws seed in the ground, yet he cannot cause the seed to grow. He can't force the seed to grow. Nor does he understand how that seed grows. All he can do is wait for the eventual harvest to be ready. He cannot cause any of it. The seed merely produces on its own. He can't control what the seed produces. He can't cause it to produce something different. He's bound by... He's bound by God's power. Limited by God's power power. That seed will grow based on God's power and nothing in himself. And he says the kingdom of God is the same. Since Jesus is speaking of the growth of the kingdom of God and all growth comes from hearing and doing the word, we can fairly confidently say that the seed is again the word of God. And you won't find any commentators really disagreeing on this. Although this, these next two parables are kind of fun to go study because you will hear some <laughs> disagreement on what they mean. And I actually, I got to share with you guys. One time in prayer, right before youth group, we were talking about, I think it was, I think it was Calvinism versus Arminianism. It was like people were talking about, um, talking about some classic, I think it was Calvinism versus Arminianism, classic debate in the church. And, um, and, And in prayer, the spirit just inspired me to just acknowledge, Lord, if we knew perfectly, there'd be no more arguments. 
Just that simple thought. If we knew perfectly, there'd be no more arguments. And then I was encouraged with this thought. Someday there won't be. (laughs) We'll just all know because it's like, well, I think it says this. And someone's like, Jesus? Well, it's like this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Then no argument. You can't argue when all knowledge is given from Jesus himself with us. So as we dive into these next two parables, as people have debated and argued about their full meaning, dwell on it, trust the Spirit, consider his word. The parable is meant to draw us in deeper. Allow it to do that. And don't worry about what other people say about it. Someday we're all going to be in heaven and God will say, oh, it's like this. The sower doesn't seem to be Jesus in this case, as the sower doesn't know how the seed grows. Rather, that the seed is, uh, seems to be any word of God, and the sower represents anywhere that the word of God comes from. That's you, me, any number of methods that God uses to bring his word to mankind. In a sense, all seed comes from the Lord because none of us came up with this word on our own. It's his truth. Okay? So while the parable of the sower that Mike covered last week focused on the quality of the soil, this parable focuses on the seed itself, the individual seed itself. The man... The man knows what kind of conditions will help the seed grow but does not and cannot know how the seed grows. He knows, I take the seed, I put it in this dirt, because this dirt is, is good soil, and I water it, and then I sit back and it grows or it doesn't. That's all he knows. In the spiritual picture, we have the answer to how the word grows. It's implied in the fact that it is God's kingdom. God is the one that gives the growth. This calls back to Paul uh, calls back to mind Paul's words to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 3:6 and 7, Paul reminds the Corinthians of what causes growth. And this is fun because I'm going through 1 Corinthians with the youth group right now, and so I've just studied through all of this. But he reminds Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth, says in verse 6, I planted meaning I brought you the gospel. Apollos watered, meaning Apollos preached and discipled, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Only God. Only God. If the seed is God's word, obviously that's true. Because the ability to grow is within the seed. And if the seed is God's word, as the seed, as the word of God goes out to the hearer, it's the word that has the power. Not the preacher, not the person who's spreading the word, not the track you find on the ground. The $10,000 bill is totally fake. It's hopefully has the word of God on it. And if it does, that's the power. Growth comes from God and God alone. No one who has ever stood before a crowd and accurately preached God's word gave that word any power. God's word is the power. And we are called to plow, water, and cultivate, but God's word is where the power to change the lives and grow fruit 
That's where the power lies. If we want to see our loved ones grow and produce, we, need the word. If we want to grow and produce much fruit. The power of God's word to grow in our hearts, knowing that at the proper time, the harvest will come. This is how the kingdom of God has always grown. It's always been this way. It's never changed. And it surely confounded many of the hearers as Jesus spoke. Very confounding to everybody sitting by listening as Jesus is speaking. What is this seed? What does he mean that you can't control the growth, you can't see the growth, that it just grows? What is this word? What is this power? Jesus wasn't done there with seeds, though. We come to our last parable this morning, and this time, the seed looks a little different. Or does it? Hmm? Look at the parable of the mustard seed with me this morning. Verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? Is the smallest, it's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. What's a mustard seed? It's tiny. Like really, 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 really tiny. And yet, it grows to be ginormous. It gets huge. I actually grew up in southern Idaho where every now and then you would actually see a mustard field. And the first time I saw a mustard seed, my mind was actually blown as a child. Because I'd see the plants and I don't know how tall they were to me, probably above my head. They're huge. They're like way up here. They're gigantic. And then you see this tiny, tiny little seed. Tiny little seeds, such a minute little seed. It's crazy how small they are. And yet it grows to be so massive. Mustard plants are crazy huge when you compare to the size of the seed itself. Or rather, if you will, the beginning of the plant itself is tiny. So tiny. When it's fully grown, he says that it grows taller than all of the garden plants. So much so, in fact, that the birds of the air are going to find rest in its shade. This miraculous seed that started so, so small and lowly is going to grow so large that it becomes a blessing and a refuge to all those around it. This lowly, humble, tiny, tiny seed, this beginning of the kingdom of God, this tiny little beginning of the kingdom of God is going to grow so massive that it literally blesses everything around it. You guys see it? What is the tiny seed that started the kingdom of God? It's Jesus. The beginning of the kingdom of God is Jesus who humbled and limited himself down to our level and became the tiniest, tiniest, 
tiniest piece of his own power. And from him was built and is being built a kingdom the size of which towers over all and offers refuge to all. A singular seed, Jesus, Messiah. This seed parable seems different, and yet, what were the other seeds? What did they represent? Word of the Lord. And according to John 1, what was the word? It's Jesus. All throughout these parables, Jesus is offering the words of life to everyone. He's offering himself to everyone. He's the seed. If we long for great growth and much fruit in the people we love, if we long for great growth and much fruit in ourselves, the key is the word. The key is Jesus. We have got to let go of ourselves and learn to allow Jesus to have first place in our lives. First place in our lives. Colossians 1 is my favorite description. Well, I'll say one of my favorite descriptions of God in the Bible. Also, you could throw Hebrews 1 in there. One of my favorite descriptions of, of Jesus in the Bible. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20 says this. He is, this is Jesus, the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is how he starts his kingdom. This is how you get mustard plant from seed. This is how you get growth in your life from seed. The personhood of Jesus Christ, Messiah, his words acted out in your life radically, radically changes you. Changes me. Changes us. He's the key through all these parables. It's been there the whole time. Each parable, as you look closer, you see him a little bit more, and a little bit more, 
And you go to other places in scripture and you just see him just blown up in this beautiful picture. And the poor crowd, probably just sitting there, and they're just hearing him talk. It's not like it's written down for him. They're, they're just hearing it, and he's just saying it. They're just doing this. What? Jesus, you want to you go heal somebody or something? I could use a glass of wine. There's a river. Like, you can go do something cool. What are you talking about? Kind of hungry, break some loaves. I am the bread. I am the bread. What else do you need? I need nothing. Nothing else. Verses 33 and 34 as we wrap up. Gives a little explanation from the writer. Says, he was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his disciples. That's why I say these parables, they have an explanation. We just weren't given it. The passage says Jesus explained everything to his disciples. Jesus explained everything to his disciples. You guys, I struggled with this passage all week because some of my favorite commentators disagreed. And I don't know what to do with that because they're both smarter than me by a lot. And so I struggle when those times happen and I had to just stare at the word and, and I, I started to get a vision for how this was going to go when I finally let go, finally let go of the commentators. And I sat there and I prayed. And I sought the Lord's heart. I prayed and I prayed and all the fear and doubt that the enemy tries to attack us with where uh, this is going to make no sense. This is going to be the dumbest thing you ever spoke on stage. Not the dumbest. Those of you who are back in the day, you know. You know. <laughs> but all that doubt and all that fear comes in. And I just sat with the Lord and I just prayed. And he showed me the way through. And he reminded me of, Mar of Mike's words at the beginning of, the, of this study through Mark. Focus in on the personhood of Jesus. Don't miss Jesus in the details. And there it was. There was the seed. So why did he explain everything to his disciples? See, he spoke parables that he might draw in those with hard hearts. He explained them to his disciples because their hearts were soft. And boy, they were a mess, but their hearts were, they longed for his truth. They walked with him. They loved him. God leads those with soft hearts, those who will hear and do. Does that mean the disciples always had soft hearts? Absolutely not. Were they always willing to do what he said? Absolutely not. We're going to continue to hear about the disciples' 
about their failures as we truck through Mark. And I say truck through because Mark is flying. Three parables in one sentence, it feels like. But don't miss this. We're also going to see how Jesus softened their hearts and how he strengthened their faith to do his word as they stuck to him. Worship team, you can come on up. Jesus is the present force through all of this. The words, the convictions that you feel in your heart that you hear from scripture and you think about an aspect of your life, I keep using your. The words we hear in scripture, the words we hear through conviction from the Holy Spirit, the words we hear that come from God, that come from his word, that convict us as we go through life is God offering us a piece of bread? Is God offering us the next step in our walk with him? Is God offering us an opportunity to soften our hearts, to let go of ourselves, to grab hold of what he's called us to do, even when it doesn't seem enjoyable? It's God loving us enough to give us the supply we need, not always the supply we want. Those words are naturally growing inside of us. And as we allow them to grow and they become fruit, God is going to bring the harvest. Whether that means something end times where he brings us all up with him, or if that means that in our hearts individually, we are going to go to fruition and he's going to harvest us either way. Either way. His words want to grow within us. Let's allow his truth to do exactly that. Lord, we come before you. The more we see your word, the more joy springs forth. The more it inspires our worship. Even the worship we give to you is inspired by you. We don't even bring that ourselves. Lord, thank you for inspiring worship within our hearts. Lord, my heart and prayer is that you would move on the hearts in this room, my own and everybody in here, to take the words that you've given us and to actually start eating it. Start doing your word. Jesus, if you're going to give us everything, I don't want to leave anything on the table. I love you. We love you. We worship you. We praise your name this morning. Be honored by the condition of our hearts.